Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oi, are you there? We're ready. I'm oh, ready. Yeah, sorry. I've got it all set I'm up. S- I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, I'm looking at my paint charts, my chalky paint charts. I've been so inspired by <laughs> Drew Pritchard last week that I am going on a painting furniture spree. So uh, I'm going to decide what to paint. Are you in? Oh, exciting. We've just caught me uh, dusting off my cowboy hat and polishing up my hunterellis ready for the weekend. <laughs> Shall we? Shall we get on with this? Okay. <laughs> And welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And today we will be covering the very important question of just how you go about buying furniture online. Because, let's face it, that is what most of us have been doing these days and there are plenty of pitfalls for the unwary. We will also be talking to the very wise Ruth Mottishead from the Little Green Paint Company, all about the new neutrals. And do keep listening to find out not just what they are, but whether Sophie will be able to cope with the concept of a neutral without fainting. (laughs) I can't promise. (laughs) And at our star surgery, we will be starting from the ground up and helping a listener with their flooring dilemma. So first up, Kate, buying furniture online and how to avoid all those pitfalls. You must have a story. Have you ever bought anything online that's been a complete disaster? I'm constantly buying things that are too small. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I measure it, even though I know what 30 centimetres is in my head. I mean, I haven't done it with any disasters, but, you know, I've, I've ordered sort of storage folders or vases or plant pots and they always seem to you know come up smaller than I think they're going to be and it reminds me um, years ago I was speaking to Lucy St George one half of Rocket St George and they just launched their furniture in Liberties on the fourth floor and I remember chatting to her and she said they'd got a whole load of really beautiful cocktail chairs they'd ordered and uh, and when they turned up they'd been really really mini because they'd forgotten to check the measurements and look cocktail chair is small at the best of times but they bought like dolls cocktails chairs they were so small they were like child's chairs I think and I you know it's so easily done I really sympathize I think you really shirked it there I was asking for your buying dilemma and you've got to put Lucy from Rocket right I bet she doesn't even know you're going to share that story no she doesn't thousands of listeners I didn't know you were going to ask me (laughs) I um sorry Lucy (laughs) I have, I mean, I haven't done it with anything major, but frequently with smaller things. So, I mean, I guess I've been lucky, but, you know, I think think it's easily done. I've done it with vases and ended up with really tiny things. And I did it once with the sofa and uh, the classic couldn't get it through the front door. So, I mean, I think that's a real newbie's mistake, isn't it? But that's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, I remember the first sofa we ever bought in our first flat, so over 20 years ago, 
And I remember them spending, you know, 40 minutes trying to wrestle it through the door and they took the legs off and there were big questions about whether they were going to have to take the architrave off the door frame to get it in. Um, and in the end, they got it through and we had to do a bit of a touch-up paint job. But it's tricky to do, I think, to measure for round corners. You know, it's one thing to be able to measure my wall is that long, my sofa is that long, that works. But it's when you've got to take things upstairs, isn't it? Mm, yeah, upstairs round and round corners. corners. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that can be really difficult. So obviously measuring up is, is kind of like relevant whether you're buying online or if you're buying on store, I guess. But I suppose headline for me buying online, especially furniture pieces, is obviously with larger pieces, I mean, we can get away with the vases and things. It's quite an investment and I find it really challenging not to see the sofa or try out the bed or sit around the dining table but you know these are times where needs must and I suppose I've got a few tips I think one really good idea is to check out you know obviously the photos are really nice it really helps if they photographed it in a room set so you get an idea of scale and what it looks like but also take a look at all the added specs like the more detail much lower down on the page like what is it made of what's the construction is it flat pack because quite often flat pack furniture just always feels a bit more flimsy than something that's been solidly made you know is it a laminate or is it solid wood is it chipboard always look out as well for any sustainability um, mentions has it got FSE timber for example I think these are all the sorts of things that you'd ask a a showroom manager in a shop, isn't it? And so you've got to do the digging, if you like, to find out all those sorts of things. I think there's one key thing, picking up on a point you made there, about the photography and about the flat pack. And I think, I mean, it might sound really obvious, but if you've got a company you're buying from and they've got A, a very beautiful Instagram account and B, they've got well-styled lifestyle shots of the furniture in situ, then I think that talks to the quality of the furniture rather than something which is, you know, on a very sort of business-like plain website with no sort of frills on it. That's probably cheaper furniture. It's probably flat pack. And then your delivery. Are you building it yourself or are they going to deliver it to you with what they often call white glove delivery, which means they'll bring yeah, it in and they'll assemble it? It's worth looking out for that. Sometimes you have to pay a bit more, don't you? But you can have um, some companies offer it free of charge. They'll bring the piece of furniture in, unpack it, assemble it for you. Some companies, there's a bit of an extra charge. Some companies will even take away your old sofa or appliance or mattress, which can also be a, a useful add-on. So those are all really good things to look at when you're making your final choice because actually getting rid of big pieces of furniture can be an extra cost, not to mention hassle. And also, will they take the packaging away? That's key. Just back to the measuring, when it comes to sofas and also beds, measure, you know, the outside of the arms to the outside and measure the depth of the sofa. I've seen people come unstuck where the sofas turned out to be much deeper than they wanted. And then by the time they've put the coffee table in front, it's all a bit cramped, you know. So as a rule of thumb, your passageways need to be a minimum of 90 centimetres. So no, they don't. If you want to walk comfortably between, How I think, to pull a house. Well, it's <laughs> narrow, it's much narrower than yours. But if you want to have a sofa and you yeah. want to be able to walk comfortably around the coffee table, or if you've got tables put, you know, chairs pulling out from a kitchen table, your chairs need, I think, at least 90 centimetres, if not a metre, to be able to pull out so you can stand up. I mean, I've got, I have a long, narrow kitchen table. 
And I do have a meter for the chairs to pull out. But if someone has pulled their chair all the way back, there probably isn't room for somebody else to walk behind them to get to the door to get out. You know, your rooms are much squarer than mine. So I am paying attention to my passageways. You don't need to in your big square rooms in the country. So I think, you know, you've got to get the scale right so that there is room to kind of walk past the coffee table without shimmying past sideways. Or We had a very narrow house, our last terrace house was 15 foot wide and when we had the sofa in and the coffee table in front of it I mean you sort of had your feet in the fire you know if you wanted to put your feet up so it it can be quite narrow you need long narrow furniture as opposed to wide square things and you need to take that into account as well. I'm quite a fan of getting the old masking tape and taping it out on the floor I think that can really help you visualise and you know some people will even go so far as like bringing cardboard boxes and (laughs) Stuff well, it's like back that, to so the thought building of your childhood, isn't it? But I mean, that's another point with the bed is you think, oh, right, OK, I've got room for a king size mattress. That's fine. But actually, if you're putting your king size mattress on a bed frame, sometimes that bed will have another, you know, 10 centimetres either side of bed frame. So that's mm. 20 centimetres you're adding to the overall width of a king size mattress. And, you know, how wide is your headboard that's making it all longer? This is where online shopping is actually a positive because you have all those dimensions clearly lined out. I've just bought a new bed for Arthur's bedroom and he has a, like a really tight spot that it's going to fit into. So I've had to be meticulous at looking at all the dimensions so I can compare all the different beds that I like the look of and look at the dimensions to see which ones were going to fit in that snug gap and I could do that really really quickly so that's one of the positive things isn't it is we can we can do a search get all our little tabs open and then go down and check the dimensions and make sure it fits our space and with the um with the mattress that we bought for Arthur's bed that came in like a roll it was really brilliant but that's a really good thing a lot of these online mattress companies now send you mattresses in a roll and even all the pillows and everything came really really tightly packaged which makes it much easier for access and to get them upstairs and things and quite often a lot of these companies also offer 100 day return policy which is brilliant for things like mattresses where you do need to sleep on them for a while don't you to work out whether they were actually that comfortable so I think that's another thing to look at with online shopping is what's the return policy how long do you get to keep it to try it if you return it will they soak up the cost of the return or is that an additional fee yeah mattresses are difficult aren't they because they are really it's so important to have your back properly supported that I think that's really hard to buy a mattress without going to lie on it You know, I've never had a mattress in a box, so I'm slightly suspicious as to whether you can get it to work. But I know that they're very successful and lots of people have them. Yeah, and I have tried it out myself and it was really super comfy. I was impressed. I'm not going to lie, because when we bought our mattress, oh, my gosh, that was like a rigmarole. We went to the showroom about 20,000 times to try out various (laughs) ones. And should it be this? And did he want it firm? And did I want it soft? Or did we want something in the middle? And did he want this? Did he want his different from mine? And oh, my gosh, it was just like it was one of the biggest investments ever. Um, but obviously, but it is one of the biggest and, investments. But going you know, to, at the moment, going to showrooms and doing yeah. all that hasn't been an option. Now, so I would say, and obviously, regular listeners will know, I'm not in the habit of a lot of mood boarding and sample gathering and all that. But if you are buying something big online, you must call in all the samples of material in all the colours, possibly even colours you think you don't really want because you need to see them 
in natural light. You need to see them against the rest of your decor. You need to feel them and touch them and interact with them. So I'm a big fan of calling in samples. And sometimes, you know, some companies you do have to pay for samples, but I think it's better to pay a couple of quid for a sample and get the right colour than just order it and have it completely wrong. Yeah, and quite a lot of the um, furniture manufacturers will do that. Curtains and blinds, obviously tiles, flooring. Yeah. All of those kinds of things. It gets trickier, isn't it, with wood finishes and things. And I think this is where sometimes um, the reviews can really help. Oh, I do love a review. I'm always looking at the reviews, you know, whether you're on eBay or Amazon or one of the really big department stores. You know, quite often people will say, oh, this colour actually isn't as it was photographed or they'll say oh this is exactly what I expected so that can also help you make a more informed choice as well as whether the company's one you can trust or not I mean because that's the other thing isn't it is it's a bit of a wild west out there yeah I'll admit I've been caught out by a Facebook ad before be very wary of things advertised on Facebook ads so you know making sure if you're going to make an investment online that you are buying off a company that you can trust yeah, totally read the reviews. I mean, the reviews can be a double-edged sword, aren't they? I mean, if you've ever been, do you remember when we used to travel and go on holiday and things and you'd think, oh, I'd like to go out for dinner tonight and you'd end up inevitably on TripAdvisor looking at restaurants and there's literally 50% of them go, oh my God, it's awful. I'd never set foot in there again. Everything was a disaster. And the other exact 50% are going, oh, it's amazing. Best meal I've ever had in my life. So you you do have to be careful when you read reviews because... They will divide almost down the middle as to whether it's good and whether it's bad. But so read them with care and see if what's being reviewed is something that might be personal to that person or whether it's actually talking in the wider sense of the quality or the delivery or the service. Yeah, I mean, I just think as well, the customer service feedback can be really useful. You know, was the company able to facilitate a return if something wasn't quite right? Did it get delivered in a timely fashion? You know, what was the customer service like? I mean, we just, when something goes wrong, it's never a problem if it's dealt with properly, right? It's only a problem if you end up on an email that never gets replied to or whatever. So I think for shopping in line particularly, looking at reviews, Trustpilot, all those kinds of things is a really useful thing to do, especially in this day of identity fraud and all the other kinds of things that are going on right now. The other thing I think is when it comes to rugs, it's really worth looking closely at that. You know, I've seen sort of ornately patterned rugs and thought, oh, that's a good price, you know, fabulous. And then you look more closely and you realise that it's not a woven pattern, it's a printed pattern. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with a printed pattern, but you need to be aware that you are not getting a bargain. You know, that old adage of if it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. And you are not getting a fabulous Persian rug for a hundred quid. You know, it's a printed rug, which might look lovely in your space, but it's not, you know, you haven't stumbled across somebody who's selling a fabulous vintage original. So I think that's, that's really key to look at, you know, the pricing. Well, that's back into your specification bits yeah. again, isn't it? Is what is it made of? What are the materials? Yeah. Like you say, if there's anything that they can say about the way it's been manufactured, where it's been manufactured, you know, most reputable um, websites will give you all that information so you can make a really informed purchase. And another thing, again, just on, on rugs is do look at whether it's a flat weave or a bit thicker. Most rug companies now will give you a little sort of zoomed in detail. How um, tufty it is. 
of how tufty it is because if you want it for under your kitchen table, you want a flat weave. If you oh, want you don't it have a by rug your under bed. the kitchen table, do you? Who has yes, a rug? Yes, I under- do. Ooh. You've seen it. Oh well, yeah. I suppose you don't drop. The it's a Persian rug. Breakfast, well, do I do, but that's why it's a Persian rug because you can't see the red wine, you can't see the milk, you can't see the cereal, you can't see the stew. You know, they're perfect. Um, <laughs> it's his own little microbiome. His own little climate going on under that. I wouldn't investigate too closely. Um, but yeah, you don't you don't want any of that deep shag pile under your table. No. But you might want that by your bed for sort of squilching your toes up in when you get up mm. in the morning. So you know, just. Look at the details and because I think, and we've all done this, you can get carried away by that's a beautiful colour, that's what I want, or I'm just in love with that pattern, that's what I want. And that's exactly the point at which you need to go, right, okay, I'm in love with that design style print. Now let's look a bit more closely and see if it's going to work. Another thing I think that can um, be a bit of a problem or, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it, on the internet? They've got so much choice. We've got a, a shop window onto infinity, it feels, sometimes. And some of the really big websites, I'm thinking like eBay, Wayfair, Amazon, Etsy, you know, they're wonderful. But my gosh, they've got literally thousands and thousands of products. So it's a really good idea to totally nail down your search words. And it means that perusing and, you know, almost like window shopping is really difficult on those kind of sites. It's much better if you've got an idea of like, I want a Provencal style whitewashed French dining table 2.8 metres long. You know, if you've got that in the search, then you can find it. If you're just like dining table <laughs> well and, and you know there is um if I might permit myself just a little a little self-plug here self-plugination um <laughs> my my website designstory.shop which is that I've edited the internet I've looked at the internet and I've edited it and it's the 50 best. So even if you don't know if you want a French painted table that's 2.8 metres long, you can go there and look at dining tables and find inspiration and that might help you on your wider search. It's all curated. Yes, it's very, very clever because I think that's the thing. It's wonderful having access to all these products. We can also cross-reference price. I love to do that. Oh, I've seen it here, but can I get it cheaper somewhere else? We all love to do a bit of that. But it's all really time-consuming. And what you've done is kind of filtered it out and done a nice curated addition to basically save people loads of the faff and the hassle. Well, what always amazes me, and I suppose, you know, it's true, isn't it? Most people aren't as interested in scrolling around the corridors of the internet for hours on end. You know, I'm quite happy doing that. I feel quite comfortable in the corridors of the internet, but most people just want to buy a lamp that works and go out to lunch. So it's really tricky. I feel moving forward as lockdown gets eases, though, I think we still want to go out and touch and feel and sit on and Mm. interact with, especially our investment buys. I I just can't see... I know the high street is going to be under a lot of pressure and I'm sure it's going to really change the way it looks in the coming years. But I hope we still have that opportunity to see stuff in the 3D before we buy it, even if it is that we just look at showrooms and then go home and order it on the internet later on. Yeah, there's no substitute for that with the big pieces. Absolutely. Do get in touch with your tips and tricks for buying furniture online. We'd love to hear from you. And you can find us on Instagram, where I'm mad about the house, and she's Sophie Robinson Interiors. Right, are you ready? Are you with us? Are you back in the room? Back in the room. I'm I'm back. God, you really are super turbo today. (laughs) 
I don't know what's going on. I tell on. you, no, I, I have had a lot to, of coffee. They need to because, amend your dosage. Because Ad, <laughs> <laughs> Ad made me coffee after lunch and I said, oh, lovely, is it decaf when I drunk it? And he said no. So I've had a square of 70% dark chocolate and, and four cups of coffee. <laughs> I've had a herbal tea and a protein bar. I definitely oh, need to. Oh, God, that I tell out. you what, whose life oh. I'd rather have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, she's unstoppable. Kate Taylor, <laughs> press mute. Oh. Now, Ruth Mottershead's Instagram handle is at underscore paint girl, which could not be more apt. She is the creative director of the small but hugely successful paint company, Little Green, which in its current form was founded by her father. Actually, its roots reach back to the 1700s and the Little Green Dye Works, which made paint and dyes for the cotton industry on the outskirts of Manchester. But these days, it is known for its environmentally conscious approach and its stunning way with paint, wallpaper and the colours and patterns that make them sing. Hey, Ruth, it is so lovely to get to talk to you. I mean, you literally probably have, I think, if I had to put my top 10 dream jobs... Being a creative director for a paint brand would be right up there. I mean, I'm just imagining you in your lab coat and goggles, in your chemistry lab, mixing up all kinds of fabulous, colourful brews. Is that a realistic description of your day-to-day job? Um, not quite, Sophie. <laughs> Hi, and thank you for having me on, on the podcast. It's really lovely to be here. Um, my job covers mainly design and marketing, so it really is the sort of creative direction of the brand. But obviously, I'm giving direction to our technicians, to our scientists in the lab, obviously, to create colours. Very heavily involved in creating new wallpaper collections, obviously, the paint colour collections as well, you know, coming up with the ideas and the concepts and following that all the way through to market. Oh, like I said, dream <laughs> job. <laughs> it just sounds, you know, to be surrounded by all that creativity, like you say, not just the mixing of the colour, but your wallpaper collections and the styling, I have to say, is second to none. The most beautiful photography that your creative team come up with to help us all really, I suppose, envisage the transformational power of paint, right? That's what your job's all about because it can be overwhelming, right? I mean, how many colours currently do Little Green offer? We have 238 colours. Yeah, so it, it is really overwhelming, but it is really interesting that you do these kind of quite tight edits of colour, don't you? So rather yeah. than give people a huge fan deck of all the different colour options, you yeah. seasonally create these kind of colour scales, if you like. And I know earlier this year you've brought out your stone card, uh, which is <laughs> which is very much feeding into this um, fixation at the moment for all things beige. I mean, we're having like a... Beige has come back again, hasn't it? I mean, I'm slightly sweating at... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I'm quite yeah. well known for my hashtag ban the beige. You are, <laughs> and then you here are. you are with uh, with a whole. Well, you're calling it the stone card rather than the beige card, but I'm going to cut yeah. to the chase. It's all looking quite brown and beigey and magnolia. What are your thoughts then behind this collection? Well, I think beige, you know, it's got a bit of a bad reputation, hasn't it, really? Does it really deserve the bad press that it gets? Are you going to defend it? Are you here to defend the beige? I'm not going to defend it. (laughs) I'm going to say beige is 
probably, you know, simply a mixture of yellow, a bit of brown and white. And the colours that are on this card are much more complex than that. You know, there's lots of different pigments and undertones within these colours. It's not just a case of three pigments and that's the end of it. So there's a bit more complexity to these colours than just, I would say, a standard beige. Yeah, it's quite interesting. You've got 36 colours, haven't you? And just, I mean, I'm looking at your colour card now, but just to help the listeners, there are six scales, aren't they, that take you from a very, very pale, what I call like an off-white tone, all the way down to a very deep colour, which isn't beige, but is almost like the undertone of the colour. So we've got reds and browns and sort of charcoal-y browns and greens. But when they're diluted up, they go all the way to an off-white. It's quite an interesting way of doing it. I suppose the theory behind this is it creates a nice little family of colours, right? That's it. Yeah, I mean, we define a neutral as anything that you can make with a naturally occurring pigment. So a neutral doesn't have to be, you know, an off-white or, as you say, a beige or just a magnolia. You know, it can be those really sort of dark, rich greens or even the um, muted reds there as well. You know, they can be neutral colours. But the way we try to format the card is within columns. So as you said, we've got six columns there of six colours. And the idea is that they go from light to dark in gradual tone and you can use them in combination very easily to create a tonal scheme. So you could use one on your ceiling, one on your wall, your skirting board, and they all work really well together. But what's great about these is that you know, on the left-hand side of the card, you've got the colours that are based on red ochre through to burnt sienna, yellow ochre, burnt umber, lamp black, and then green earth. So they really are your sort of natural neutrals, but they're much warmer colours than the greys that we've lived with for the past decade. And this is the headline, isn't it, I think? (laughs) When, you know, all the trends and the editors and the headlines are saying, oh, this is the new neutrals, essentially what we're saying is, this isn't grey because, you know, grey has completely dominated interiors, hasn't it, for probably over 10 years. And I suppose when it came in, it was all kind of quite new and sexy because we've been doing like taupe forever, it felt like. It was a sea of taupe in the sort of early noughties. And then in comes grey, has its decade. And now we're back round to looking at the warm, uh, essentially the warmer neutrals. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we launched our grey colour card in 2013 and then grey was just getting going. So as you say, it's coming up to, you know, 10 years of grey, really. And people still love grey. But but what we have seen is this shift from much cooler greys that people were buying back in 2015 to now, you know, the warmer greys. So the greys based on yellows and red oxide, for example, they do have that much warmer strength to them, a much warmer undertone, should I say. So we've seen a real shift there and almost a movement to these warmer colours, the warmer neutrals. Well, you've got lots of pretty neutrals at the top of the scale, sort of like the top half. At the bottom, there's some really lovely dramatic darks, like Arras is this very beautiful claret red. I know Kate Watson smiles fully on board with this. She's got that in her new office. <laughs> uh, dark Brunswick green. I know it looks fabulous, doesn't it? I mean, she's, yeah. yeah, she's totally on board with this and she's totally ungrade her house and is moving over to the stone side one wall at a time but I looking at the lighter colors so for me I always find the off-whites and the very pale neutrals some of the hardest to choose and and I know so do our listeners because I get lots of questions about how to pick the perfect white have you got any tips on that even if it's just a ceiling and a woodwork color how do people know which tone of off-white to go for well, I would definitely say, in case anybody's thinking about this, just, you know, always stick to one white. Don't try and put two whites together. That's really important. What, within the same room or within your whole house? Within the same room, I would say. Yeah. 
I think for me, the perfect neutral is one that can sit well in any space. So we've got quite a few sort of go-to off-whites, which work really well. If you've got, for example, north-facing light and south-facing light, you know, a neutral that works within that space is fantastic. So slaked lime, French grey pale, uh, Portland stone and French grey, I would say, are really go-to neutrals because they have, you know, that little bit of warmth in them, but also that little bit of cool, very, very neutral, which means that you can hold use on, them in any on. space. Uh, You've got so you've created a neutral that's got a little bit of warmth and a little bit of cool. How does I'm sorry, I'm really picking (laughs) your brains. How does that work? So, for example, French grey family that's got Mm -hmm. four sort of different pigments in. So, you've got a red, you've got a yellow in there, you've got um, a black in there, you've got some grey in there. So, it's quite a rich colour, then actually. It's quite complex, exactly. Exactly. And so, those neutrals are neutrals that are made up of something that has a bit of both in them. They're not too cool. They're not too warm. They'll work in any interior. Um, And then if we're looking at the perfect neutral for specifically a north-facing room or a south-facing room, then I would say, obviously, pick, you know, a warmer neutral for a north-facing room and a cooler neutral for a south-facing room, for example. And then something in the middle for your east or west. So we've picked the perfect white. That's excellent. Now the next question is, what goes with that? Have you got any advice on how you can create different colour schemes in each room but still make your home feel cohesive overall? Yeah, well, we talk about colours as um, brothers and sisters and cousins. <laughs> you know, families of colours, really, and related colours. And what I mean when I say that is, as I was just mentioning about the French grey, you know, it has that little bit of yellow in, it's got a bit of red in. We know that French grey, for example, works really well with Tuscan red. Tuscan red is a really sort of bold red, but it works great with French grey because French grey does have that little bit of red undertone without really realising it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. So it's all to do with the colours that are hidden in the background. But how can people work out what those colours are? Or is it just asking know the person who mixes the paint yeah we well we have a really good tool actually a little green called the little book of color and within the little book of color it has every uh, color listed and then it tells you what pigments are in each one so you could literally pick a whole family of colors for every room in your house knowing that they'll sit together exactly i did not know that i can't wait to check that out that looks brilliant. Yep. So we created that because so many people were really, you know, it's it's on this sort of line of, you know, how can we help people choose colour? And a lot of people were struggling and we felt that actually it would be good to create a little book to help people to do that. So are your customers being confident with colour, Ruth? What are, what are your best sellers? What are people rolling out on their walls at the moment? Okay, well, I, I have to put them in two different groups because otherwise everybody would, you know, our best-selling colour would be white. So I would say neutrals from a neutral standpoint. Um, loft white's really popular. Shirting is really popular and there are two sort of brightest whites. Then French grey pale and French grey. And then now we're seeing more of a sort of comeback of Portland stone, um, which is coming in a bit more and hence why it's gone on to the new card. So that I would say for neutrals, they're the best-selling colours. And then for your kind of bolder tones, we know obviously that navy blue has been a big hit uh, over the past five years. So Hicks blue and juniper ash. And then so moving on from the blues, what are people moving into? Oh, the greens. Yeah. And again, we've seen a transition, a shift there from your blues like Hicks blue to your blue greens and teals like Harley green, Goblin, Ho-Ho green, all the way now to more neutral greens. So the greens aren't too cold or too warm like Puck and Hopper. 
I'm wondering what does um what does your house look like, Ruth, with all this knowledge and amazing creativity at your fingertips? Are you like literally redecorating every weekend? Yeah, there, there was a point where my husband would come home from work and I'd be painting the kitchen wall, you know, a different colour because obviously every time we um, produce a new colour card and we create new colours, it's too exciting not to put them up in the house, you know, and paint with them. Uh, same with wallpaper as well. So yes, we've got lots of different colours in our house. We don't really have any neutral either. Um, oh, brilliant. So what's where does your palette sit? I mean, are you on the, on the super bright fun bus like me or are you more dark and moody like Kate? Um, yeah, I'd say we're partly on the fun bus and in some rooms. So we've got, but I guess we're a little bit more muted with our choices as well in the sense that we've got dark green in the in the lounge, sort of three quarters Lovely. of the way up the wall. And then we've got Ooh, pink nice. on the ceiling. Nice. China clay deep with livid and that looks fabulous. It looks really great. <laughs> so my husband um, makes wallpaper. What a duo. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we've got a lot of wallpaper. We've got wallpaper in the hallway, in the kitchen, in our bedroom, in our nursery. I know little Ivy is only just 11 weeks old. I have to quickly get in here and say congratulations. Aww. That's such amazing news. <laughs> Thank you. Can you tell us what her nursery's like? I always like to know what people yes. decide okay. to do with nurseries. So her nursery, we've used a Shan Zhang wallpaper. Um, a designer. Oh, yes, she won. Um, there was a year I got to judge the Etsy Design Awards <gasps> and she was the winner, I think 2019. She's oh, a fantastic. fantastic wallpaper and mural yes. artist, isn't she? Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, so we've got a jungle mural of hers and we've got that on three walls. So it's got monkeys in, it's got birds in and lots of different colours as well. We've gone for green on the wall, pea green. And then we've gone for really dark uh, green pleat on the ceiling. So it's a bit like a rainforest canopy. <gasps> oh, I love that. Yeah, we've used some uh, Andrew Martin fabrics and penguins as well. So we've got penguin blinds and a chair of my mum's, an antique chair, which we've reupholstered in the penguin fabric. So it's uh, it's quite funky, actually. Oh, so you've got it. quite a lot of pattern going on as well. Yeah, quite a bit of pattern. Brilliant. Some yellow as well, some yellow velvet um, on a footstool. So yeah, we've really gone to town on it. It's, it's our first baby, so... <laughs> special time oh my gosh yeah, absolutely <laughs> go for it and obviously you're somebody who's not afraid to experiment and to sort of pop the color and contrast it and it yeah. sounds to me that you have fun with it right definitely I think um, we're very lucky obviously to be working in this industry and around color every day and obviously my dad you know I've grown up around color obviously he founded Little Green so he's sort of passed that down to me I remember um, when Little Green was starting and we, we were just making color cards on our kitchen table at home and you know just painting out the colors <laughs> oh what hand painting out all the little paint chips yeah exactly yeah oh that's so brilliant I know um, tackling the issues of sustainability and the environment is absolutely core to your brand. Is that something that your father sort of set out to deal with from the get-go when he was setting up the brand? Definitely. He felt there was a space in the market to create something that was obviously environmentally friendly with the paint and the wallpaper. But also what was important was to create, you know, the best quality available as well. So it was creating that balance of something that's environmentally friendly, but was also really high quality product. Yeah, and performed, I suppose, because that's the ultimate thing, isn't it? Is if exactly. your decorator is grumbling and groaning or if you're having to put coats and coats and coats on something... Exactly. 
people quickly fall out of love with it. That's it. And that's something that we've really uh, focused on and making sure that our water-based paints are just as good a quality as the oil-based paints because often decorators want to use oil-based products because they're the traditional choice and they know that they're bomb-proof. So a little green in our labs, that's really something that we've yeah really focused on because we want to, to make sure that the water-based products are just as good. And we've managed to do that. It's, it's hard to do, but we've managed it. You know, originally that harmful solvents were used in oil-based products, whereas we've managed to create oil-based products using naturally occurring vegetable oils, for example. Since I've got you here, Ruth, in the hot seat, you are perfectly placed to answer uh, a question that comes up quite a lot, and I'm sure you're aware of it. This question, is designer paint and the price tag it comes with actually worth the money, or do we just take your lovely colour card and skip off to the nearing mixing paint centre? and get it for a cheaper price. (laughs) What's your thoughts? (laughs) Well, the one thing I would say about that is that all of our colours are unique. You know, they've not just been taken out of a fan deck. You know, we create them ourselves and the pigments that go into them, as I said earlier, are quite complex. So it's not just a case of you can obviously go and create a match, but it's never going to be the same colour because of the complexity of pigment within our products. Why would I need to spend more money on pigments? What is it about the pigments that make it worth it? Well, the quality of pigments, so uh, the reaction of colour within the light, so the colour is much more deeper, it's richer than probably the similar colour that is made with, say, two pigments, for example. And so it's like your French grey that's the perfect neutral that goes in any light, north, south, east, west, because yes. it's got a little bit of all the pigments within it. That's it exactly it. It reflects and reacts perfectly, whatever light you throw at it. That's exactly it, yeah. Whereas perhaps if you got a match, it wouldn't work so well. And also, obviously, the quality of the products. We put a lot of titanium dioxide in our products. So, you know, they're not going to be falling off the wall, that's for sure. We're a family business, you know. We put a lot of love into creating these collections. You know, we work with the likes of the National Trust and English Heritage. And there's a real sort of story behind the colours as well and a lot of passion behind the colours, which I think if you know that you bought a colour that's made with love, I think that that is a bit different. Oh, how lovely to hear from Ruth. Um dying to see her pink and green sitting room. But my big question, Sophie, is so, which room are you going to neutral up first? (laughs) That's what we want to know. The cobalt blue hall going, nice shade of cream, magnolia. Do you you know what? Do you know what? I don't know whether to admit this to you. Oh, go on. Oh, I'm on the edge of my seat. Well, I've been ruminating about... Oh, I just, oh, I don't know whether I want to tell you this. You're going to spit it it too much. I don't want to make you this happy. I'm so glad we're such good friends. I don't want to make you happy. Charmed, I'm sure. Utterly charming. I've been considering, (gasps) considering knocking back the pale pink in my living room and going for a stone colour. Really? Because I feel... She's frozen. It's such a revelation. The screen froze. But yeah, there's something about... I just feel like a bit of a warmer, nuttier hue. And I think it would go really nicely with my chintz sofa and my uh, Berber rug. But look, oh, I mean, yes, the I'm Berber just, rug. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> the Berber rug that I'm I wasn't allowed to buy. I'm just thinking about it. I'm just thinking about so it. So here's the thing. You're going to paint your sitting room in a warm, whoa, nutty, whoa, 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 nutty, whoa, whoa, she said. Whoa, That's a word. No, I said I'm ruminating. But you have to paint the ceiling to match. Listen, I said I'm, I'm ruminating on the possibility. You've come out with a flat out statement that I'm redecorating my living room in green. <laughs> it's the end of days. It's the end of days. Sophie's painting our house magnolia. <gasps> oh, the podcast anyway. has now fizzled out into nothing. It will be no more. It's all over. 
swiftly my work on, here is need, done. I, I swiftly on. I think we need a new topic. Get me out of this quick, Kate Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> you can be sure I will keep you posted as soon as we're allowed out of lockdown. I'm going to be down there on the first train to Brighton, having a look at her walls. But in the meantime, let's turn our attention to the style surgery. Hi Soph, hi Kate, um, it's Helen here. I live in Ilfacombe in a Georgian terraced house. Um, we are currently redecorating our hallway. It's a main thoroughfare of the house and we have a holiday let in the lower ground floor. So consequently, even though we are usually a sort of floorboards and rug type of family, I think we're going to have to put a carpet down for the sound insulation. So we have got no idea where to start looking. We've got a big dog as well, so it's quite a muddy thoroughfare. So it has to be easily cleaned or be quite sympathetic to that. Be grateful if you could work your magic. <laughs> Flooring the hallway is probably one of the biggest decisions, right? Because it's the hardest wearing surface in the house. And also it connects all the other rooms. It's going to go up the stairs, across the landing, and it's also going to have to link with all the other flooring finishes in every single room in the house. So this is big, this. Hello, Mum. Hello, darling. Surprised to see me in your house. Yes. So my Wi-Fi's gone down again. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. Anyway, if you could, um, you know, yes, keep the noise levels down, poor mum. She's been to the dentist. Right. Um, I don't. Do you remember when we did a house tour with Matthew Williamson? He said, "If you get the floors right, everything else will follow." You know, his point was that if you have a fabulous floor, even cheap furniture will look great. Whereas if you put expensive furniture on a cheap floor, the whole thing is brought down, literally. So, I mean, the floors are really important. And arguably, if you talk about the floors, you know, linking your whole space together and going up the stairs, it's like the spine, isn't it? I mean, it is absolutely central to the rest of your decor. And Oh, so overlooked. no pressure. No pressure. Yeah, Helen. no pressure on your floor. Um, <laughs> I think carpet is the go-to for deadening sound, but I think it's a very dicey choice for a busy family hallway with a big dog living near the coast. I mean, it's just not going to wear well. And interestingly, our house in the country had a fitted carpet and it was horrendous. It just felt so unhygienic because we're not a household really that you can always get everybody's shoes and muddy boots off within the first five seconds. So I'd be really wary of a fitted carpet. And also in a Georgian townhouse, I don't think it's the right look either. It's just not really in keeping with that period of house. So I'd almost try and think of other ways to get the soundproofing in. And quite often, you don't say what's down there already, but if it's a stripped floor, if it's just down to the bare boards, you know, you've got gaps in there and there's no insulation in there. So if you're up for taking it on, there are ways that you can soundproof by adding underlay in between the boards. Uh, you could even look at filling in the gaps with filler, which would make a, a difference. Or with a quick Google, I did find that there's this compound that you can actually inject into the subfloor which seems to have really good reviews and and really work so it might be worth looking at some structural changes that you can make to help dampen the sound or indeed 
if you laid a engineered board on top of the pine boards, even a good quality laminate, you could add a soundproofing underlay underneath the floorboards. Obviously, you get into trouble then because it's raising the height and that can be a problem with door thresholds. And one, you know, These are not easy solutions, Helen, I'm giving you. I really hear that. But I'm thinking if this is your long-term home, it might be worth getting the bones right and then keeping your wood floors or even tiling or whatever, so that you can then have rugs and it's just a lot more hygienic and easy to keep clean. There's one thing I would say if you are feeling that carpet is the right route, um, and I'm thinking about hotel corridors then, which have heavy traffic, and, you know, a patterned carpet, which you have in the form of a runner, so you still see the boards at the edge because nobody's really walking along you know, the edge bits. So you can have it as a runner, you can have it patterned. And what you can do is fix it down. I've seen people put runners down and fix them with like upholstery brass tacks or something. And I've seen something similar done in a hotel so that you get the deadening. If it's patterned, you will hide the dirt a lot more. It's up to you how often you hoover and clean it. But a patterned carpet will hide a certain amount of it. And then if it's not fitted, you can still have that look of it being a rug or a runner, but you can fix it down so it doesn't move. Or patterned tiles. I mean, again, I don't know whether we're getting into trouble with the levels because it's one thing, can you open the doors, but are you getting into trouble with the stairs if you're bringing the levels up too high and replacing the staircase? I mean, you actually replaced your staircase, didn't you, when you put in your thick hall tiles because you were changing the levels for underfloor heating and stuff. Oh, to be honest, we would have changed the staircase anyway because hilariously the staircase didn't fit in the first place and it started with a half step. <laughs> so it oh, was right. wrong before we even started. And we added underfloor heating and, you know, so our levels rose by a good like inch, inch and a half probably. Um, but yeah, it, playing around with level, I mean, usually with just a tile or, a, or an engineered board, you know, you're only talking sort of 15 mil. It shouldn't be too much of a problem, but it is just the added hassle of skirting boards, door heights, things like that. But I am loving your idea of a patterned carpet that isn't fitted. I think this is yeah. the thing that will be more, more in keeping with the period of the house. It also means that you're creating a visual break between the rooms so you don't have to go... You know, sometimes I think if you have one carpet and then like a threshold trim and then another carpet. Yeah. That can be a really uncomfortable jump. But by having a, a runner effect and then some floorboards and then you can go into a different fitted carpet or indeed just huge rugs in the other rooms, I think that would sit together more nicely. But I also think with any form of runner, you know, put some proper underlay under it which you're fixing down, and that will make it softer to walk on, but will also help deaden. And again, as you say, I mean, it would. Im the implication is that if you've got to have sound deadening from your home to the basement flat below, then you might have to have carpet in every room. But I still think you can do that with rugs because, as I say, nobody's kind of tiptoeing right around the edge of the room. You know, as long as you're covering the main central bit and the passageways, then that will do for deadening. So put your underlay under it and then either fix it or don't fix it, depending on how big it is, which room it's in. What's so brilliant is you can buy patterned carpet and have it whipped like a rug. Yeah. So um, you don't have to have it fitted. You can have it cut so it's literally only 
you know, maybe 20, 25 centimetres away from the exterior wall. The other thing to look at in terms of practicality and cleaning is that rugs that are destined to go outside, they're usually made from recycled bottles or polypropylene or something, aren't they? Weaver Green has lots of them. But if you were to buy one of those in a runner and, again, fix it down so it doesn't go slip-sliding all over the place, you can mop those, can't you? And you can get them in lovely patterns and colours. That might be quite a practical solution that would give you if you like the sort of look of carpet, the practicality of a, a plastic moppable surface and a bit of sound deadening if you put it on top of some underlay. Yeah, I'm not sure how well that would go upstairs and things. You want a continuity of your stair carpet and your hallway carpet. You don't want to jump from one to another. And you'll want carpet on the stairs if you've got a noise issue rather than people thundering up and down the stairs. Yeah, although you could go from pattern hall runner to plain stair carpet or plain runner to patterned stair carpet toning mm. colours you're all about the pattern clash don't tell me it's got to be the same all the way up who even no. are you <laughs> <laughs> mrs i'm painting my sitting room magnolia <laughs> well i i think i take credit to you kate you obviously know the benefits of a patterned rug and carpet for hiding a multitude of sins as i really do yes and what you really table. want is a persian <laughs> you want a persian runner <laughs> Trust me, if I could find one that I could afford, that's what I'd have in my hall because I've just got bare floorboards. As always, we'd love to hear your dilemmas. So do record a voice note on your phone and send it to us at thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. Now, this is the last in the current series, but I'm so pleased to say that we are going out on a real high. More people than ever are listening to the show and we are so chuffed about that. So whether you're a new listener or whether you've been into us since before we were cool, we're delighted you can join us. And we'll be back in just three weeks. And if you're missing us too much, don't forget the wonderful Facebook group, The Great Indoors Podcast. And of course... Leaving a cheerier review on your podcast app does wonders for our egos while we're languishing away from the limelight. <laughs> That'll be Sophie languishing. But of course, there will be links and all the nitty gritty details on our blogs. Mine is madaboutthehouse.com and she's on sophierobinson.co.uk. Thanks to our producer, Kate Taylor of Feast Collective, and to our engineer, Tom Brignall, who deals with the horrors of Duvet Den recording and makes it all sound good. And the biggest thanks to you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors. So this is where, just to bring you back on topic, I'm trying to steer you back on topic. Oh, sorry. Uh, what else? You've forgotten the topic now. I've got no. something to say. About online shopping. Yes. Okay. Oh, relevant. Excellent. Are you a bit surprised? I'm being relevant. All right. <laughs> I've got a relevant point to make. You'll like this as well. You'll like okay. this one.